0: Welcome to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. At Evolution NHS, we are committed to helping people and NHS organisations realise their potential. Our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals, building trust to make doing business easier. We collaborate with NHS organisations to help them build high-performing digital teams. We achieve this by curating and sharing insights into the ever-evolving NHS and digital industry's best practices. I am Ben from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, and today I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by the team from North Staffordshire Combined Healthcare NHS Trust. We have David Hewitt, Chief Digital Information Officer, Leslie Birkin, Head of Digital Transformation, Joe McCree, Associate Director of Communications, and Carl Holloway, Digital Content Lead. This is to discuss digital engagement in mental health. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. i like to know who you are, what you do and what your biggest passion is currently. David, would you like to kick us off?
1: Yeah, thanks Ben. I'm Dave Hewitt, I'm the Chief Digital Information Officer at North Staffordshire Combined Healthcare Trust and really my passion is focusing how we use digital technology to enable excellent care services. So this is really looking at how we can really use digital to support our clinical staff in you know treating our service users and to impl- uh, support those service users accessing and engaging with our services. Brilliant, thank you, Leslie.
2: Hi, my name's Leslie Birkin. I'm head of digital transformation for the trust. Um, one of my biggest passions for work is about um, spreading the news about mental health and actually desensitising it from the um, the clinical frightening aspects that it's it's historically been given opening access for multiple people in, de- in different ways uh, to access help and support. Thank you. Joe? Hello, I'm Joe McRae.
3: I'm the Associate Director of Communications. Uh, my passion at the moment, work-wise, or and, and relating to this uh, conversation, is um, uh, keeping us where we've been for the last uh, two, three years, which is at the forefront of harnessing new developments in, in virtual reality, augmented reality, uh, digital communications and keeping the same but also making it relevant and embedding it in in real uh outcomes both for service users and most importantly for our staff
4: thanks joe kyle yeah hi i'm kyle holloway the digital content leader at north Staffordshire combined and my role entails creating media over different uh outlets whether that be podcasts across our screens on sites or creating youtube videos that we can share across in our comms um for internals and externals. So um, my passion really is to help get a message from the source to where it needs to go to, to help break down, you know, mental health and also uh, to, to give the message that the Trust wants to give. Thanks, Carl. Now that we've established a context to
0: each of you, let's move on to the topic in focus. You all have asked a question or statement on digital engagement and mental health. As usual, I'll work around the room, asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it. Each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. So let's start with Dave. You asked, how can integration of digital technology be leveraged to create inclusive and stigma-free platforms for mental health support and awareness? Where does this
1: question come from uh, this comes from the basis that using digital allows us to break down barriers to different areas it means that location isn't as much of an issue for these people you know the times of access to do this so really it has that ability to kill time and distance over what we want to do really changing the way that service users interact with us to go through so you know, where I want to focus with this is how we can use those digital tools to uh, support and transform some of our clinical pathways, and really that way that we engage with our service users and enable them to engage with uh, the clinical staff as well.
0: Thank you, Leslie. Did you have anything to add to this?
2: It's more about the stigma free platforms, isn't it? And being able to go somewhere without. Um... Having that shame attached to it, I think that's an important thing, um, and being able to go somewhere in your own time and be able to, you know, find help. You know, so digital technology really allows that, doesn't it? You can go somewhere without having to go to a GP or necessarily, you know, talk to somebody. You can do that. You can do that in, in the comfort of your own home, in your own space.
1: Back to yourself, David.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good point
1: and some of the work that we've been doing through our wellbeing portal and linking into schools, I think definitely, you know, children find it very difficult to engage with, say, GPs, uh, teachers in some of those cases to do that. So if we can offer them a platform where they can have a look at uh, maybe some feelings they're experiencing, some challenges they were having, and give them some route, either signposting them to appropriate uh, people to contact, or even uh, allowing them to link in to uh, some of those service areas and do that. So I think it really gives that ability to support different people, you know, obviously with children, how we can offer support to their parents and carers is just as important. Thanks. Joe, what do you think about this? Um,
3: well, from my point of view, I think the, uh, there's two things, isn't there? There's on the one hand, um, the we all know that that, you know, particularly young people can get access to every single bit of information, every single bit of content, good, bad, dangerous, downright damaging or not, um, and also and and um, or they can get access to curated content and somewhere safe and, and and you know where they're in the in in the sort of environment that that is, that is shaped by. Uh, by people who have their best interests at heart, and also insights to help them, and I think that's where particularly a mental health trust has a huge role to play, because on the one hand we are able to yes provide advice and support and, and posting and all of that, but also um, the it, it gives an a, a, an environment where um, we don't we don't shut down conversations, we don't we don't close spaces, but what we do do is create almost a sort of a safe area, a safe space where people can broadly be uh, be confident that the advice that they're being given um, is clinically sound and and also ethically sound and all that. And that, that's where I think this link between, on the one hand, traditional things that you would go to a clinician or the NHS for, which is trusted advice, if you get what I mean, or, or care or treatment. On the one hand, keeping that without, as, as, as Leslie and Day says, without, uh, without having the barriers of, Yes, but, but but that is not the way in which I want to interface, or or I find it difficult to access the services, or I'm not comfortable. It, it's it, it's it's getting that sweet spot between between openness um, and 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 care, and that, that's what I that's what I think's really really exciting about. About about where you know um, mental health trusts can, can go at the moment.
0: Thank you for that, Joe. Leslie, did you have something to say about this?
2: Yeah, I think it's also good. Um, we we've seen an increase, as we all know, over the last four or five years of mental health issues because of the situation that we've been with the pandemic, and and in, an increased amount of anxiety as well that's arisen from that. So I think it's also good to have on the, the things like we have done with the portal, where where it, you you can actually say it's okay that's normal so without having to come through those services and go through your gp you're actually saying no this behavior is okay and be able to give some guidance and support without you know clogging up those gps who we know you know that so many problems so you can you can reach people in a way quicker and just give them that reassurance, the tools to be able, you know, to support them, and actually link in from other places as well. Like Joe said, that that verified information, that clinically sound and clinically safe tools, you can pull all of that data in, you know, without someone going on Facebook, God forbid you know, and, and and doing all those horrible searches that, you know, can bring up on, on, on other platforms. But do you know what I mean? So it's really good to be able to say, yes, this is an issue, but actually bullying and, and things like this, this sort of, you know, all of these things you deal with this sort of way, but actually exam anxiety is a very true and real thing and it's normal. You don't need, you know, you don't need to come to us for that this is some coping mechanisms you so i think it's it's really important to reach out as well on that basis too
0: thank you for that leslie david do you have something to add to this
1: yeah i think you know bringing some of that together it's it's how we integrate that digital into our existing services as well what we don't want to be doing is digital for the sake of doing digital so the trust has adopted very much a digital by choice model where the digital tools have got to be right for the service user and have got to be right for the clinician in order to manage that interaction so this isn't about taking away those existing uh, platforms and ways of accessing that's about how we enhance them how we provide a more you know different ways for people to interact, communicate, get access to information and, uh, you know, share their thoughts and feelings to do that. So I think, you know, that's a really important factor that this is as well as not instead of.
0: Thank you. Yeah.
1: Joe, you wanted to add something to this?
3: Yeah, I think one other aspect, particularly when we're looking at digital, one of the things that digital is incredibly good at is breaking down barriers. And and sometimes those can be literally physical barriers, as as well as organisational barriers and everything else. So so for example, you know the, the the you know one of the great challenges of public policy over many decades has been what breaking down you know the interface between on the one hand social care and, and, and the NHS and, and local government and the voluntary sector and all of these. Now in, in a non digital world. And these are organisations which have their own organisation, silos, they have their own ways of working, they have their own cultures, they have their own budgets, they have their own premises, yeah? And sometimes people working within those organisations have to look at at, at working around the institutional and organisational and process barriers that stop them just talking. Now, digital gets rid of that. so, So... um, and we, we, you know, we are trying things, um, things in, in Staffordshire Stoke-on-Trent in, in a physical environment. Say, for example, with the local council, where, and particularly with football clubs, where where we do cafes, where men of a certain age will not engage with, you know, with the, with with health and care services, but they will come along to the local football club. And so what we've done is we've done physical cafes, whereby in the room are people from the local authority from the NHS, from the voluntary sector, from community groups. And the people can walk literally walking through the door. They don't they don't need to know which whichever they are. Whatever the conversation, whatever the conversation takes them, they're directed now what, what what we're able to do with digital the well-being board that, that leslie has done so much work on developing is a fantastic example of of doing that in the digital sphere where you don't need to know when you come through that front door of you like when you access that board you don't need to be able to navigate through the various interneesign structures of how the nhs and social care has managed to organize itself or not organize itself over 30 years the only thing you want is who is the right person that i can speak to who, or, or i can learn from who can give me advice and um if this person that can't give me advice they'll know somebody else and say hmm, you really actually want to have a look at this or you want to speak to this person digital is absolutely amazing at that um, and, it, and it's able to do it in a way that traditionally we could never ever do um in, in a non-digital
2: world
0: thank you so much for that Joe Leslie do you want to speak further on this
2: yeah I just wanted to add a little bit of an, an- anecdote really to what Joe said because I I attended one of the the social events at uh, a football club near us and um it was hilarious uh you would it was the total opposite of what you'd expect I mean I was there with the portal on a laptop and expecting everyone not to say anything and then queue up for the coffee it was the other way around people were queuing up to look at the portal ask me questions about it where they could go what they could do someone was even going I need to ask this advice for my daughter she's worrying about this so it was absolutely the complete opposite of what I thought it would be and it was so good and so great to be able to reach people in that way and I think it, it, it it not very many times that you come away with a happy, glowy feeling, but that was one of those those moments where I came away with a happy, glowy feeling. It was really good. And, it you know, and it you felt like you'd helped someone, quite a few people then. So I think it's, uh, you know, it goes to show what something like that can do, just reaching out.
0: That's really lovely. Thank you, Leslie. Carl, did you want to add to this?
2: Yeah, it's just talking about the portal itself. And
4: because obviously it's a platform that we've got, uh, you know, our name, the NHS to, uh, it, it comes across to anyone who's accessing it as like a verified source of information about mental health, which helps because you can Google stuff, uh, but you're gonna get, you know, the best hot topic that Google can find at the top. Um, and obviously having our connection to the nurses and being able to offer, like, even in my job, to help create media for the for the users of the wellbeing portal just adds that uh, stigma breaking uh, element to it. Thank you so much for the contributions on that question. Moving on to
0: Leslie's question. You asked, "How can digital platforms be designed to foster open conversations about mental health?" Where does this question come from?
2: Um, I think this started off when I first started uh, working with Dave ar- around the portal. Really, uh, when you do a bit of googling and background look and look what out what was out there, it was um, you either got two ends of the scale, actually, some really scary information, and and um, you know, guidance topics and things like that right the way through to the actual dangerous stuff or the incorrect stuff or, you know, take these herbal medications or, you know, go jog for 20 minutes um, and and, and things like that, that was just not helpful, not safe. um, And there was a lot of negativity still associated with mental health problems, you know, out there. And I think that's when I started to think, what what do we need to do about this? We need to give people a way of having open conversations um, and nothing's off topic. So, you know, we're covering things that are usually associated taboo. You know, people don't want to look at frightening topics. Some, someone's going through something, it's very, very frightening for them and they may not even want to, you know, talk to their closest friends and family um, some of it is upsetting, and um, you know, and some people just won't talk to other people about it at all. Um, so we needed a way to reach people in a sensitive way. So um, we also needed to um, reach people in a way that they understood, and and that that's that's where this came from, really. So it's it's about reaching people in the best way possible without it being um, dumbing down. You you don't want to patronise people, but with also being honest, you've not got to scare people either and also give them a route to come in uh, and talk more if they want to but it's giving it them in their own time and within using language as well that was a really important thing that people could understand so you have to when we were, we're designing anything we have to account for different people you know with different reading levels with different you know backgrounds uh, so it's a, it's a really tricky but um, you know rewarding way of uh, working I think it's been hard but well well worth and i don't think you know it'll ever grow and ever change so that's where that question came from
0: thank you leslie Joe, did you have something to add to this
2: Um, yeah i think there's two things there
3: isn't there about uh, about when you talk about open conversations so on the one hand conversations themselves are, are sometimes some of the best therapy you can have conversations with either people who are going experiencing the same thing that you've experienced or people who are familiar with it or people who are sympathetic or people who have insights and and the I think this is again, this is where digital platforms are particularly good because um, the the uh, particularly something like the well-being portal, uh, the person the person encountering the well-being portal are completely in a safe space. They are in complete control of it. So if you know if, if you are if you are um, encountering mental health problems or maybe problems with addiction or problems with, uh, you know, suicidal intent or depression or something like that, you are not going to be in a, in a place where you feel that I can physically get up and, 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 and go to a place and all that. So being able to be in a safe, controlled space and interesting. And then once you get into that space and um, the language is really really important and, and break and, and increasing understanding and empathy is hugely important so so for example you know some of the most simple messages are the most powerful so at the moment say you know you know we're recording this uh you know, i don't know whether this will be broadcast but we're recording this in the run to christmas okay at christmas it, it is it is a, it can be a very lonely lonely time uh, for people etc and, and and we know that, that, that can sometimes increase mental, you know, mental health and, and stress. Um, and so one of the things we've done, you know, over many years, is it's just a very, very simple film. Just saying, you are not alone. Literally, you are not alone. If you want to talk to somebody, there is somebody available 24-7. Just pick up the phone, access or, or, or join us online or, or you can walk in if you want, etc. But just simply, you are not alone. And another thing about when we're talking about open conversations and breaking down stigmas and all of that, stigmas and prejudice a lot a lot of it comes from ignorance. Okay, and there there the, again, this is increasingly getting less so. Uh, partly because of the the increase in social media and and and, and the web and other two, you know, conversations, all that. But for example, if you said to somebody, "Do you know that the leading killer of men?" in their 40s in britain is suicide it is not abnormal it is not abnormal and and understanding that that if you yourself are feeling suicidal or or i they have this whole thing about ideation and something you don't you, you don't need to be scared of that it is perfectly normal it is really common there are people who understand all of that that's really crucially important and even more so and the, for people knowing, you know, able to able to uh, recognise the signs or have a conversation themselves, again, is hugely important. And so it's, it's no, you know, it's no coincidence that, you know, and those of us like, you know, me and everybody else who, who go to, you know, blokes of a certain age who go to football matches mind for example, just a huge amount, a huge amount with football clubs, talking about people about talk to your mate, they might be OK. Yeah, do you know what I mean? So, so, so. This idea of being able to foster these open conversations and informed conversations and um, the digital platforms are better than anything else that can possibly be to do this because they are by their very nature, open and accessible.
0: Thank you very much, Joe. David, did you want to speak further on this?
1: Yeah, I, I was just really to link into what Joe finished off with. I think the key bit around digital platforms are, is they are there when people want to access this. You know, a lot of the time, you know, if somebody's sitting and thinking about something, it's not between nine to five and I can do this, or I want to boot to the GP. It could be middle of the night. I'll, I'm just thinking, you know, how how do I deal with this? Where do I go? Just having that ability to go on, have a read-through, see where it is. And then, you know, if the platform's been developed, you know, around what we're trying to do is it can then direct you where some of the most appropriate sources are to gain help with that. So, you know, one of the key elements for, you know, North Staffs combined is we run a 24-hour crisis line for people to link in with. So if you go onto our wellbeing portal, you're reading something and you're going, no, I still don't feel right. I really need to speak to somebody. The phone numbers there on the portal. It's still about linking in. you can still talk to somebody to pick this up. But the digital tools give you that ability to go when you want to, to have a look at that information. And hopefully they help you. But, like I say, this you know, it can redirect you to the most appropriate source to help and support it, though that
0: time thanks david and i'd just like to make the audience aware that there will be links to um the portals and uh content that the team mentioned on the podcast today uh, in the description below um but leslie you wanted to uh, follow on from what david was saying
2: yeah both david and joe really i was i was just it's difficult for sometimes for us to realise in the digital and, and comms route, you know, how low someone can get and the effort it takes. And I think it's just put, a, it. It's, it's really good to be able to reach people when sometimes they can't get up, you know, they can't get out of the bed. The last thing they're going to do is get out the house and walk to the GP. And we have got the ability through digital to, to reach them. And I think, that's groundbreaking, you know, and that is a really important thing to, to mention. And, and that's what we're delivering here. The ability to, when they want it, when they need it, they can actually just get in contact with us and, and reach that safe information. And again, it's, it's, about, it's about it not being taboo. So we did debate whether we should have suicide on the portal and we actually said, no, we have to these are the big things these are the topics we need to demystify we need to take it out of the you know the shadows and bring it forefront and make sure that we're helping and reaching those people so yeah it's really important when like like dave said when they need it you know rather than within the nine to five working hours
0: thank you leslie joe would you like to speak further on this
2: and um, yeah there's uh, just just one point i want to make about this as
3: well about um because uh, we're talking about reaching people and reaching out to people and all that sort of stuff. And um, the other thing where, where digital is, is very good is, uh, obviously, we've said the curated content to you in a safe space and, and, and all that sort of stuff. But the um, it's also, it, it can be quite a democratic um, environment, digital. Okay? And what I mean by that is um, the part of it. Comms teams sometimes called comms an engagement team, so we're always talking about engaging with people and engaging people in their healthcare and engaging people in service redesign and engaging people in their own health and all that sort of stuff. And and for a while, there was there was a sort of there was there was a way in which we used to describe certain groups, all right, and we would call them hard to reach groups, and 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 that was the, that was the accepted term. How do we get through to these hard to reach groups? Um, and and they, they you know they would be uh, minority communities or say travellers travellers is, is a classic example or people from ethnic minorities or people from uh, from poorer backgrounds or whatever. And um, after after a while and and it, it sort of it sort of um, it sort of develops along the same time as, as a lot of digital stuff was inventing People from from these communities and these groups says we are not hard to reach. We literally are not hard to reach. It's just you don't reach out to us. You don't. You know, you don't do it yourself. And sometimes that can simply be because a lot of the people uh, designing these platforms or, 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 or creating the advice or whatever are themselves unknowingly uh, a self selecting group. You know, we are primarily, um, you know, articulate, middle class, educated, um, often, you know, more often than not white. Um, if you tend to be physical, uh, physical. Uh, patient groups um, at the older age of the spectrum etc and you know by we we think we're, we're talking to everybody and are not and so that changed a few years ago and now we no longer refer to these communities as being hard to reach instead we refer to them as being seldom heard and that then really really changes the nature of the challenge and the nature of our priorities because it's not simply about you know reaching out to them or are they are we able to reach them enough it's it's providing environments and collaborative platforms where their voices and their perspectives can be heard and that's that's sometimes just as important and again I keep coming back to that this is where digital and increasingly as digital itself has developed in the last 10 15 years from being you know where the, you know web 1.0 pushing information at you to web 2.0 suddenly people could actually interact to now into social and as we come on to you know later on in conversation you're looking into into virtuality and all that sort of stuff increasingly what we're doing is we are providing environments and contexts and technology and enablers for people to come together themselves without it simply just simply being passive recipients of content that articulate white middle-class people have thought this is what you should hear
0: thank you very much for that joe carl would you like to add to this
4: yeah, and I think it's 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 a good to think about that. Most people live in a digital world now. The majority of us have a phone in our pocket or a computer at home. So being able to access uh, something for our mental health uh, on a device that we have access to is where we're going to be able to sort of use digital to 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 help break down the stigma, but also get that information uh, when we need it, which I think we've all said. You know, going to the GP practices, you know, not your favourite task in the world. But if you've got a, a place that you can go that's supported, um, that's where the digital platforms are, are really important, especially in the times that we're in.
0: Thank you very much for that, Kyle. Joe, your question is a bit of a wild card and I quite like it. Um But you've asked, should we be scared of new technologies like AI? Where does this question come from?
3: Well, so... Here we are in you know December 2023 and at the moment um the, the, the at the moment the latest moral panic or the latest thing, the latest thing that's going to you know of course go to hell in the hand of the car is AI okay and so of course it's scary and it's going to lead to the destruction of the world um and quite frankly it's a challenge like we've never had before and how can we possibly deal with this and control it and everything else here we are right okay now uh, you know um I mean uh, you know, those, those who can't see me i'm a 58 year old bloke okay and i've been i've been around the house a few times um i can tell you that um i used to teach the social media component on the nhs leadership academy which uh, the ben uh, on the, the nye bevan program and uh, uh if you go back back eight years um, the conversation was oh my god there is this single social media and we don't understand it and it's going to be terrible and it's going to be the destruction of the nhs and it's going to and society itself and how can we control it and how can we stop it and all of that okay um i remember being back in the working in whitehall at the, in, in the, in, in, the nin- in the late 1990s when Oh my God, there is this thing called the web and we can't control it and it's all terrible and it's going to be awful and we can't, you know, we can't possibly what are we where are we going to go with this? We've never faced a challenge like this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Um, and to be perfectly honest with you, if you went back to the creation of the printing press, people were burnt at the stake for pin- printing books because if the Catholic Church did not control the message and it, it wasn't in Latin, it was in English. And, and this is going to be the destruction of the world and how can we possibly etc, etc, etc. okay. So my point of this should we be scared of new technologies like AI? No, we should not be scared of new technologies like AI. In fact we, sh- we should you could actually stop that question with should we be scared of new technologies? No, it's just technology, okay And what we need to be scared of, or although we're not indeed scared of or prescient of is human beings, not the technology. And so human beings will always take anything, and there will be good human beings, great human beings, not so great human beings, communities, tensions, um, all of that, etc. And so and and so what we have to do is what 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 I, I think you tend to find is You'll, you'll always have early adopters of technology and all of that and then you'll have people with, with an it main chance and they go in. And then over time, people with good intent and people who, who, um, who are able to you know whose livelihoods are in providing care and you know, compassionate care and help all that will need to learn how to do it and adapt it in new ways. And that's our job. That's our job as digital, people working in digital, and people working in communications and people working in engagement. It's our job to educate and give examples and bring people tiptoeing into this new world and show them all the amazing things that you can do with it. Um, and and um the um, um you know I will give a shameless plug because why would we not? And um, the virtue of virtual reality, <clears throat> literally two years ago we had a, a clinician came to us, one of our clinicians who works with older people. Um, and she knew that, you know, we, you know, your team have got a bit of a reputation, for be a bit, bit wizzy, as they say, Joe, and you like new stuff, don't you? And she had this idea, this virtual reality stuff, right? Um, could we use it to educate people about delirium? I went, delirium? She goes, yes, I guess, well, explain to me about that. She goes, well, what you don't understand, what most people don't understand is what it is like when you can do an episode of delirium because literally you will literally think that bombs are falling from the ceiling you will have hallucinations that people are trying to poison you you will be it, and it will be feel totally real to you and sometimes the challenge that you have is if you're in an environment yeah if you're in an environment uh where you uh, where you um are um uh um where people don't understand um what the what the um what Uh, that this person is going through, they will just see a person behaving naughtily in the bed and and just don't understand it. So the challenge that was going to be, Joe, could we do something around this? And I went, yeah, because we've got this young lad called Kyle in our team. And he's really, really, really good at this. And at this point, I will stop and I will let Kyle pick up the story and tell us the story of this amazing free virtual reality experience, which anybody listening to this podcast which to this day, two years later, is still being demonstrated at international conferences as being internationally leading in the way in which we've done it. And with that plug, can I put it across to you, Kyle, in my team? Kyle?
4: I don't want to say too much on it, of course, because it will go into my question. But with the virtual reality delirium, um, it was about giving a perspective uh, to the nurses or the, the user of the virtual reality to sort of experience delirium from the patient's shoes. Um, And that's one of the big calls we got from it. We've done, like Joe said, a few events for delirium. We went around the hospitals. We celebrate um, the delirium day that we do, which raises awareness. Um, And we take a lot of learning from the experience that we've made. And we've we made it two years ago and we're still learning about how our experience has really positive and learning effects um, on, you know, the patients the service users the staff and even some of the relatives uh, about trying to explain and break down the differences between delirium and um dementia because they're quite seen to be quite close but they are very different and i'm not a clinical um i'm not clinical at all but i've learned that from spending a lot of time with the doctors who, who deal with delirium and uh, yeah it's about raising awareness and giving a Uh, putting them in a simulation that allows you to understand it from the patient's perspective when they're not really in well health. Thank you, Carl
0: and Joe. Um, David, did you have uh, something else to say about this?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, bringing back to AI and I think some of the challenges around that side of it, I think where a lot of the fear comes from is a lack of understanding around uh, AI what it's capable of, how it's going to work. And I think Joe's referenced a a number of different areas where that same fear came from. But, you know, in our, well, in my role, you know, I think it's key to be identifying those potential benefits of AI, how it can support people to work in different ways, to have a look at, you know, uh, data things, you know, all of the, you know, different factors in a very different way to do this. And I think, you know, Part of that is how I can get that message across to people so they can understand what the tools are there. And also, you know, coming from a digital professional side, what we need to be doing in some of this is to put some controls around that so it isn't just a case of using AI. Uh, You know, let's go and try it there. You know, we really need to see how we can put the appropriate security controls around this so we can only access information that's appropriate, that it's allowed to, and we can build that up and really then also from an ethical point of view you know there's a case of we can but but really should we be doing some of those elements to do that you know in mental health there's a huge amount about that clinical expertise that professional view to do that yes you know, AI can look at a date huge data set there, but nothing's going to replace that clinician interaction with the service user, how they're going to work. So it's about, you know, really targeting those areas and making sure that's clear. You know, one of the bits we try and do through all of our use of digital is to be as transparent as possible with all of our service users, all of our staff about how this is working. So, you know, as the trust starts to adopt these different technologies, that's what we're going to base it on, is to make sure that they're safe, secure, and that we're transparent about how we're going to use this. And by doing that, we should reduce the risk of any un- any unintended consequences that happens because of the use of new technology. Thank
0: you very much for that, David. Joe, did you have anything to add on to the AI and VR topic?
3: Um, yeah, I, was, I, was, I was, what I was going to say there was, was uh, with, with AI and VR and all that, Part of the reason why we had we had we've had um, such success with this thing is because uh, yes of course, yes we we can we can understand how to what new technology can do objectively okay and and that you know that's what you know and particularly when we have as, as good a digital team in our trust and I, you know and I will say this with Leslie and Dave on the on on the call you know one you know this trust has been blessed by the fact that the, the digital team are are so forward thinking themselves and work with content engagement really well but. All four of us on this call, the actual do, the, the job is to actually engage clinicians, engage the clinicians, because if something is wizzy and lovely, but it's but it has no uh, uh, like AI, for example, you know, the way in which we do AI, we have to engage the clinical clinical communities and and people who are professionals in this, because ultimately they have scientific and technical and clinical knowledge that we couldn't even know about, and so. Again, for the audience of this podcast, if there's one sort of takeaway from it is don't you don't ourselves just develop stuff our own and ourselves get ourselves out of our silos and get interfacing with the clinicians and and you know a lot a large part of what Leslie uh, uh, does in, in we we you know we've introduced loads of new uh, you know. Uh, electronic prescribing and a thing called clinical aid and all this sort of stuff but the key to why it works so well and you know and we are a digital exemplar and we are an outstanding trust part of the reason is because clinicians and frontline staff are absolutely embedded at the design and implementation and rollout base and we've got to do that with AI as well because AI will do amazing things but it'll only do amazing things if we take the time to understand from the professionals, what are the amazing things it could do?
0: Thank you very much for that, Jo. Leslie, would you like to add to this?
2: Yeah, I think there was a couple of things there. I think one of the things that Dave said that always makes me smile, just because we can doesn't mean we should. That applies to AI and humans. And that's very much the the, the way that we we uh, design everything that we work. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Um, but the other thing I think what people get scared about is a very human um, reaction is worried about what it means for them as well so I think you know we're not blessed in the NHS with lots of staff and lots of money um, we have challenges now that we've never faced uh, like we've never faced before and if we can reduce those waiting times and get the people through the door who need to be seen face to face by the use of AI and reducing those weights then you know we've got to we've we, we've actually got to embrace it Um, Because what we don't want is our clinical staff doing admin. We don't want our clinical staff helping people, you know, um, log on and those sorts of things. We want to make it where, you know, all of these things, questions are prompted at the right time and, you know, and it becomes... It it almost becomes a partner of the care. It's the unnecessary, you know, the unseen work that goes on and, and releasing clinician time to do the things that they need to do. Um, and I think, you know, we're not going to get rid of staff. We aren't in that position. Nobody in the NHS is in in that position. You know, we, we, we want to see more people. So I think that's one of the things that we need to embrace and embrace new technology to get rid of those weights and those unnecessary time lags. So we have to do it. We just need to do it carefully.
0: Thank you very much for that, Leslie. That was really insightful. Kyle, did you want
4: to add to this? I just want to mention that... Um, AI is sort of being rolled into the NHS now and I really want to see it get pushed forward because for me I've used it every day in different elements and the products out there that I currently use are well managed they're safe environments but for me it's 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 helped on an accessibility point of view uh it's given me skills and I've learned loads of like Um, well mainly vocab for me to be able to like learn more tools that can assist me in my job I'm very visual but when it comes to the wording of things that's where I struggle the most and I found that with all these AI tools coming into creation media it's made a massive impact on how my work presents itself so seeing how well that can happen in a creative industry will be interesting to see how the NHS can take it on from a medical perspective I mean if it can upskill me it can upskill pretty much anyone and this sort of brings me sort of to my question which is how might virtual reality which is VR or augmented reality AR technologies be used to create immersive experiences that can enhance the understanding of mental health and this question for me I think actually comes a lot from my learning as I mentioned I'm like a visual learner Um, and mental health um, not that it all is but most of it can be seen as invisible so how can you create something that allows you to experience it or even understand it from something that you know you can't see very point blank and I know that's obviously um, a term I didn't want to use but it's about creating um, these experiences that help everybody not just clinical staff obviously I mentioned in uh, earlier on in the podcast that we've done shows we've gone out to the hospitals and we have seen improvement uh, and got questions and experiences that you know they didn't have before we got there in the morning so and I also think, obviously, we're talking digital. Modern technology is, at the moment, very accessible. It gets almost every cheaper and better every year. So it's about how can we take this untested modern technology and bring it into the NHS. And that's that's where we've started to, to use um, VR headsets. Uh, we've done it for the very basic, which are the ones where you can slide a phone in. And we also have uh, the more upper market ones where you can run proper unreal engine applications and videos we recorded in a 360 camera so we've got um sort of this vision to sort of offer another solution of a training situation or a simulation situation that allows to enhance everybody i don't want to just say clinical stuff because i think these tools that we create uh, really do help everybody and i think some of the simulations and trainings that we're trying to build in our trust uh, could be dangerous they could be really difficult to put into perspective so to be able to create these virtually and it be a safe environment is where these tools i think are going to help everybody
0: thank you for that kyle Joe, did you want to follow on
3: um yeah i was going to get just give a a specific example of this of, of, of an answer to this question for listeners to this podcast so obviously, um, I'm aware that you know all of us on this podcast talking on this. You know, we understand what a mental health, a modern mental health hospital looks like and what the care looks like and everything else because it's our bread and butter and we worked here. But but um, I I can you know I, I could put my mortgage on it if you if some listeners on this and you said tell me what you think when you think mental health hospital um, the um, the um, What you can do there, they will will have a very old fashioned view of maybe asylum, maybe Victorian, maybe restrictive, maybe oppressive, etc. And of course, what we know is that is not what a modern mental health hospital looks like. In fact, you'd be amazed. And one of the ways in in which we're harnessing uh, virtual reality to do that, or, or, and digital technologies is by using technologies that, that uh, architects and, and increasingly uh, universities have been using um, um, for, for using uh, matterport cameras to do walkthroughs um, of, of of our premises so I would invite anybody on this you know on this uh, listening to this podcast who wants to know a little bit about what an amazing compassionate, um, mental health hospital could look like to have a look uh, go to our website combined.nhs.uk and have a look at our virtual library of virtual walkthroughs and in particular we, you know we have a Ward uh, Ward Ward six which cares for older people with dementia it is a beautiful environment it is it is uh it, it is built to look welcoming there are there are would you believe there is even there is even a hair salon in there where people can go and they can have that you know because some of these people are in are also a very long time and being able to have that care of going to a hair salon having somebody look after them is great. You also will have environments where the living rooms are actually designed to look like 1970s or 1950s living rooms because it is a it is an environment in which people. Um, with dementia, can feel like I can feel uh, um, the um, uh, the um, uh, sorry, where these people can feel in a safe environment. Now, so literally, I would say to the to the answer to uh, to Carl's question is how can we do it? As I said, on people on this podcast, literally go and have a look and try it yourself because it's free, um, and you don't need a virtual reality headset. You can do a point and click and all of that sort of stuff, um, and you can go and see a what does a dementia ward look like or go look for example uh, there would be a walkthrough of our ward three that is a brand new opened literally this year state of the art mental health hospital it is beautiful it is modern it is safe it is it, our staff absolutely love it and it will absolutely smash your prejudices of what you think when you think mental health hospital it will blow your mind away um, and that's the only way in which i think we could demonstrate the point of the of the um of, of our question here is by literally inviting you to try it for yourself and of course we would love any any feedback both to either directly to us or to or to ben and the people who are running this podcast and um but you know i'm not the only person who has an insight in this i think dave uh dave you've got you've got some insight to this haven't
1: you yeah i, I think it's really important you know these walkthroughs you know when people are accessing our services you know a number of you know they can be worried about what it is they can be concerned about how they're going to access them you know do we have the right facilities for them there so very much about you know how we can make adjustments for people in order to suit their requirements what these walkthroughs enable them to do in some cases to go oh is there a car parking space near to the door when I go into reception is there a seat that I can take and to work through that so a number of our service users use these facilities in order to plan their journey beforehand to have some assurance that they're not as anxious when they're accessing uh, a lot of these areas because you know even for you know people who you know maybe just want to know how to get there where do I need to go when I I go into the building do I need to turn right or do I need to turn left you know it's Some of these bits can be very, very scary, as you mentioned, Joe, and uh, people's, you know, views of it uh, historically around this. So just being able to have that link and go in and know what they're going to expect, it's really important. Thank you very much for that, Dave. Um, So moving on to Kyle, what did you think about this?
4: Well, as I've been part of the uh, creation of the tours, um, obviously it takes us a lot of time time to do because there's so many... uh, one metre steps you have to do with the the hardware. But after seeing it being put together on the software, um, it definitely will have a massive impact, I think, for breaking down stigma, showing it where it is, because we've all done that on websites where we book our holidays or hotels going and having a look is what we like to do to get us feel like yeah that that's a bit of me um maybe the patients and service users won't be saying that but to have that sort of link to the sort of where they're going to go and what to expect does take a lot of the thought process uh, which is probably what causes a lot of the anxieties of, oh, what's it going to look like? Is it going to be like this? I think it it, it does help. And we, we're starting to see benefits with the tours. You don't specifically have to put these into virtual reality. We like to do it to put you physically in the building. And that's another thing that we found with virtual reality. A lot of ours is built with accessibility and inclusivity in mind that allows you to not need to be put in a headset because some, uh users won't like it i would say that i'm a veteran of vr i've spent days in it but some people would not want to put the headset on and we found that experiences on a tablet or an ipad uh, where they can use the gyro inside the device to turn instead of the head has been a, a has been a different experience but has you know the same um learning and appeal that uh our 360 vr and and walkthroughs have
0: thank you for that, Carl and yeah, I think it's really important to make things accessible to everyone really um but what did you have to say about this Leslie
2: um it's just bringing it back to a point earlier uh, made earlier about um bringing in some compassion and understanding uh, about the virtual reality that that both joe and and Carl have been involved in and it's also it's not just about the um are like like joe said i think about our nurses and training them what it feels like but imagine if you're a carer as well so you're looking after someone and it just opens up people get frustrated people are humans but if they have that understanding and can feel what it feels like to be that other individual All of a sudden, you know, those 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 things change the way that you treat people change. You can put yourself in their shoes. And I think it's a really powerful tool to be able to do that. Um, And it's something that, you know, like I say, being able to experience something firsthand rather than just listening to someone trying to explain to you. It is just immense and I'm you know incredibly proud of the team and being part of in a trust that's part of that as well so I think it's hats off to the team with that they've done a fabulous job
0: thank you Kyle thank you Leslie uh Kyle did you have something to add to this
4: yeah I was just going to say I think uh coming from a comms perspective and I think Leslie mentioned it in the digital bit there that I actually really enjoy my job because of what we do and what we create and obviously my skills are digital but in the last Four years i've got such um like an interest in mental health well-being um and just you know being able to help and creating the products like virtual reality uh, and the digital side it, it, it's our bit helping the nhs do it as well like it, we we're not on the clinical floor but we use our skills and our tool sets to sort of help you know the, the bigger picture
1: i think there's something additional to that ben you know because as we as joe's mentioned and carl mentioned about the use of headsets and as uh you know how people experience all this what we've actually done as well to enhance this experience is invested in some room room size virtual uh, video walls, which will enable uh, people who can't wear those headsets or for groups of people to do these walkthroughs or to enter those virtual environments together. And sometimes, especially for some of our training, being able to you know play through where uh, that walkthrough, take people into an environment to show them where they're going to be work- working and that is really important. So what we're looking at doing is saying, how can we enhance our uh, learning through this so we're working very closely with our training and organizational development teams about how we improve uh, all of the different courses that we're delivering to take advantage of this new technology as well so it's about you know not just what's there how do we improve for the you know the next lot of uh, uh, clinicians who are accessing to, to trust and how do we up their skills thank you very much you froze then i've had a
0: job of go Thank you very much for this, David. Kyle, did you have something to add to this?
4: Yeah, I think, as Dave mentioned, our, our digital walls, that is another tool that we're trying to to do in a training element is to create experiences in there. That's uh, almost like a lecture theatre, but with two of the walls being just digital uh, for anyone who can't picture it. And we're trying to uh, also offer a solution for our staff to be trained in a different way. Is there a, a way of going away from being all e-learning, not that that's uh, a problem with it being all e-learning, but is it the best way of learning for a member of staff? So it's like, can we do fire risk safe training on there? Because we can turn the walls into a virtual room where we can point out things that could be changed in in a fire risk or a safety um, area. So uh, it's about how can we use our modern technology that we've already got to sort of assist in training. Thank you
0: very much for that,
4: Kyle. Joe,
0: what would you say
4: about this?
3: Um, well, it's it, it's 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 just a little bit ironic, isn't it? That that uh, and again, I'm conscious of the audience here. That, um, isn't the, isn't it really really delicious that what we're actually learning is sometimes what you've got to do with virtual reality is be a little bit less virtual and a bit more reality. And so so, but we have had experiences where where you know we had we had a, a young woman, a young nurse um, who's coming into into the boardroom where we've got our LED and she was actually coming to film to film something else to film to do a bit of uh, green screen filming. Uh, but, but it just so happened that we had on the walls uh, the the the, uh, the matterport walkthrough you know, of of the place where where you know where, where she, where she walked and she walked in and she just looked around and went i'm I'm standing I'm standing in my workplace and pointed at a, a painting on the wall she says that painting was done for me by a service you. How, how have you put me in my workplace? And so it, it, and it is re- it is really interesting in terms of trends. This this the increasing this, Carl was talking about there, about, about the, the restriction of putting on a headset, okay? Now we know that Oculus are already moving towards um, a slightly less enclosing thing. And this is before Vision Pro comes. Now once, you know, once that comes upstream and Apple get involved in this, this is gonna re- be a real game changer. But one of the other things that we are looking at here is uh, that, that, that people increasingly are looking at is they're even now starting to call it mixed virtual reality or groomed virtual reality. And it's it's effectively getting over the challenge of having to do it one by one. And the LED walls that we're doing, we, we think we are the only NHS trust to have invested in these. We, we think. Um, but um, we are really, really excited by these. And again, um, you can uh, uh, you can you can see some of the examples of what we're doing by going to the website or looking at the links below.
0: Well, thank you very much for that, Joe. Um, and I think we've come to the end of our episode today. Um, but before we end the podcast, um, I'd like to say thanks so much to our guests from North Staffordshire for sharing your thoughts. Um, I would like to follow on with that if you are hiring for new technical roles um, or looking to do a digital project, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Um, or if you know anyone that would like to be featured on a podcast, then you can drop me a message too. Um, I am Ben and you can find me on LinkedIn or email at Ben.wells at evolution contract.co.uk, or you can visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash UK forward slash NHS. Thanks again to all our guests and thank you for listening.